Thank you. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is uh, Jason uh, Shelton. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Windsor Community Church. I serve alongside Pastor Dan, Pastor Pat, Pastor Chris, Pastor John, and Pastor Jake. And um, I'm excited to open up God's Word um, with all of you today. If you're new with us, we uh, just finished up a series in the book of Titus. Um, where four uh, gifted men, all who were a part of our Pastors Leadership Institute here at Windsor Community Church, um, opened up and ministered to us through God's Word. I'm grateful for their labor and uh, excited to continue to see all that God is going to do with those four men in their lives. And if you didn't uh, get a chance to uh, be ministered into uh, by them in that book, I would encourage you to go online and listen to it. I know that you'll be greatly served. Um, today, we are starting a new series in the book of Jonah. If you open up your Bibles, uh, maybe square in the middle, and you begin to turn to the right, um, you'll go pa- uh, past books like Ezekiel, Daniel, Obadiah and Southers, and then you'll hit the book of Jonah. And we have entitled this sermon series, Salvation Belongs to the Lord, which comes directly after, out of Jonah chapter 2 as Jonah is sitting in the belly of a great fish. And this morning, I get the joy of introducing the book of Jonah as well as teach through chapter 1. And then Pastor Chris will lead us through chapter 2 next week, and then we're going to take a small break, and we're going to celebrate together and and mourn some um, to what God is doing in the life of the Shewitt family, and then um, a dear brother um, by the name of Rob Moser will pick us back up in chapter three, and then Pastor Pat will conclude uh, the series in chapter four. So as I said, I'm excited to be in this book with you all. Uh, learn alongside you as God will faithfully meet us and bring about his desired effects. So um, with that, let's take a moment and pray, and then Lord willing, we'll get into Jonah chapter 1. Lord, it is uh, good to be um, here this morning, uh, remembering um, the reality of who you are and what you've done that you are the great God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you are faithful in all seasons of life, seasons of joy and seasons of chaos and hardship, that you remain um, unchanging, the good and gracious daddy who continues to beckon his children to him. God, we're here this morning Beggars in need of you to continue to build the house, your church, for your glory and for our good. I pray that as we um, open up your word, that you would not let me bring any offense to it, that you would go forth, that your spirit would cause us to continue to be transformed more and more into the image of your son, that we would be people that continue to let loose of the grip on this world and cling to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We love you, grateful for the reality that you loved us first. All God's people said, amen. So the book of Jonah. Jonah is an interesting book, unique in many ways, 
that set it apart from other prophetic books in God's word. There are four major prophet books, prophetic books in the Old Testament. They're Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and then there are 12 other minor prophetic books. And similar to all of those books, the book of Jonah is, uh, Jonah is actually called the prophet. And in Hebrew, that word prophet literally means a called person. And as David Murray expresses in his book, Jesus on Every Page, he calls the prophet to stand between God and sinners and speak God's word in God's place. Now, the book of Jonah is unique in that the book is far more about the prophet of God than about the prophet's message. It would be unfair, however, to say that the purpose of Jonah is solely to focus on the prophet. Jonah's heart, his lack of obedience, or the lack of concern for others. And although all of that is true, God, in his amazing mercy and grace, is doing far more than recording a story of an obstinate prophet who runs away from God gets swallowed by a great fish, gets vomited back up on shore, and finally, yet reluctantly, goes and does God's will. Although we're going to learn some um, applications from this book directly from the life of Jonah as it's expressed in these pages, Chris, Rob, Pat, and I's desire as we've been sitting in this book is that as fascinating as the person of Jonah is, and as crazy as it might be to be swallowed by a big fish and then spat back up on land. The book of Jonah is first and foremost about the God of Jonah. It is primarily about the character of God further manifested in these pages about his continued plan of salvation his unwavering resolve to see his kingdom go forth to save and sustain the lost, to make righteous the unrighteous. Beckoning wayward people and calling them his. It's what the Bible is all about. Jonah shows us particular aspects of the one main character who is the main character of all of Scripture which is God. Now, before we get into the text, I find that it's helpful when we start new books that we could refresh ourselves um, on the biblical narrative, the overarching work that God is about from the beginning of Genesis. And to see specifically how Jonah is aiming to express the, the, the God of promise, just like all the other books are expressing him. So, where do we start? In the words of Michael Lawrence, it begins in the most unlikely of places. It begins, the promise begins in the words of God's curse right after the fall, right? God creates Adam and Eve to live in perfect harmony with him, but they choose to disobey God and they turn from him and sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3. God, who is 
perfect and cannot tolerate sin pronounces the penalty of their sin against him. But in the same words of judgment, God gives forth a promise. It is this reality, the reality of sin on the one hand, and the reality of future promise that marks the redemptive history that is expressed in God's word, which we call the Bible. Individual after individual, story after story, chapter after chapter, book after book are marked by these realities. Our sin and God's anticipated promise faithfully carrying on. Humanity is plunged into depravity and Adam and Eve's uh, child, Cain, kills his brother Abel. But God preserves his promise through Adam's son, Seth. Humanity continues to run away from God, but God preserves Noah and his family from God's flood. Years later, humanity has forgotten all about the flood, all about God's salvation from the flood. But God chooses a man named Abram to continue God's promise to bless all the nations through Abram. Yet Abram tries to take matters into his own hands and produce his own heir of promise. But God doesn't need Abram's help. Yet God blesses Abram and his wife Sarah with a son, and his name is Isaac. God renews his problems, promise with Abram, changing his name to Abraham. Years later, Isaac is the father of Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, one of which is Joseph. And it seems that God's promise might be coming true. But sin gives way to jealousy, and Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. But God preserves the life of Joseph. And uses the evil meant against Joseph to provide life for Joseph, his family, and an entire nation. Yet sin continues to rear its ugly head as the people of God's own choosing are enslaved. And a whole generation of boys are slaughtered. But God preserves a man named Moses. God ultimately uses Moses to lead his, this captive nation out of slavery and towards the land of promise. God raises up a man named Joshua to bring his people into the promised land. And then after Moses and J Joshua are gone, God raises up judges to help lead. But God's people want to be like every other nation. And they want a king. They ask for a king, ultimately rejecting God as their king. We know the story. God gives them Saul. And then in God's kindness and mercy, God anoints David. A man after his own heart. And God promises David that David will have an heir that will sit on an everlasting throne. And at first blush, we think that this could be David's son, Solomon. 
but he too is unfaithful. And soon, God's people are divided into two nations, and chaos ensues. Jonah and other prophets were called by God during this time of rebellion to communicate God's impending judgment on them because of their sin. Calling them to repent and turn away from their sin and follow God. Jonah specifically prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II. He was the king of the northern two kingdoms called Israel between the 8th and the 9th century B.C. The author of Jonah is anonymous. We don't really know, although most people would say that it was probably Jonah who's recounting the story after he gets back from Nineveh. Jonah is unique in that Jonah is not called to communicate a message of judgment and repentance to God's people, Israel, but instead Jonah is called to go from his people to proclaim God's judgment on them. I've entitled this sermon this morning, Something Greater Than Jonah. Something greater than Jonah, which is a phrase that comes out of Matthew chapter 12. It's Jesus' own words to describe himself. Something greater than Jonah is here. Now that phrase, something greater than Jonah, has resonated with me over the last week or so as I've been sitting in this book reading the story of Jonah, specifically Jonah chapter 1. And the question that I ask myself as I read is, do I read this book and do I read Jonah chapter 1 and consider Jesus? Do I consider Jesus as greater? Or do I read this book and get caught up in the life of Jonah? Maybe even judging him a little bit for his shortcomings. Or giving him a pass on his disobedience, or am I like my seven-year-old and I only focus on the big fish? I'm going to argue this morning that Jonah chapter 1 is ultimately intended to point us towards something greater than Jonah. And we're going to see that by looking at two persons in Jonah chapter 1, and that first person is God, and the second person is Jonah. And we're going to see God's faithfulness and we're going to see Jonah's faithlessness. And I believe as we make some observations from the text about those two individuals, those two persons, it's going to lead us to see that salvation belongs to the Lord. So, what might be the something greater than Jonah? Let's reread Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 together. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amite, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he, said, so he paid the fare and went down 
into to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah has a great deal of satire in its pages. And it starts even here in verse 1, describing Jonah as the son of Amite, which literally means the son of my faithfulness. Jonah, like all prophets, were called by God, verse 2, right? Arise and go. And here's our first observation about the person of God. God is shown faithful because he has a love for others that gives forth to action. God loves others, and it gives forth to action. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God's heart is revealed to us as he calls people towards repentance. Consider that with me for a moment. Consider the long, steadfast love of God towards his creation that continues to rebel. Consider the biblical narrative that we just recounted. All of the opportunities for God to wash his hands and be done. And yet God in his love for his creation, continues to call that creation towards repentance and faith, even when that rebellion is ultimately against him. Psalms 51 verse 4, David's words, it says, against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in the sight. It truly is God's heart of mercy towards his creation that does not leave us, does not leave them in their sin and toil in Nineveh, but continues to call and provide mouthpieces to proclaim the way of repentance for wandering people. Psalms 67, 3 through 4 says, Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. That is the heart of God. Now compare that with the heart of Jonah. Verse 3, but Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish. In comparison, Jonah is shown as unfaithful because he has only a love for himself. Jonah has no intentions to go to Nineveh. None. Nineveh was a great city of the Assyrian nation. The nation was oppressing the Israelite people, causing them grief, pain, and even death to many of Jonah's people. Consider this for a moment. Instead of making what would have been some 700 plus mile journey northeast to Nineveh, Jonah ventures southwest to a port called Joppa, boards a boat for the land of Tarshish. Now, we really don't know where Tarshish actually is. It could be a literal place or simply a local expression to get out of Dodge. 
But most believe that it was on the western coastlands of the Mediterranean. Some would even say as far as Spain, making it a 3,000-mile journey all to get away from the presence of the Lord. Now, we don't fully know why Jonah runs away, although we're given a hint in chapter 4 where Jonah tells God that he didn't want to come because he knew that God would be gracious and relent from disaster. Jonah concludes it would be better to die than to continue living. Pastor Pat will unpack uh, all of that for us at a later time, but for today it is simple enough to say that Jonah's heart must have been storing up some bitterness unforgiveness or superiority towards Nineveh and the people of Nineveh that closed off his own heart for their need to be saved from their own sin. Observation number one, God loves others, Jonah loves himself. Observation two, God is shown as faithful by being resolved to bring about his desired effect. Let's reread verses 4 through 10. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to God, to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gotten down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord of God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. God has not given up on his plan for Nineveh. He hasn't given up on his plan to use Jonah to reach Nineveh. See, God uses all the necessary means of his power to bring about his plan of salvation. We see that here at the very beginning of the text where God hurled the great wind upon the sea. It was his might that kept the sea, the ship upon the sea, even when the sailors rowed, and the text said the sailors rowed hard. And when the sailors, out of desperation to know who was responsible for the evil that had come upon them, decided to roll the dice, roll and cast the lots, it was God who controlled the outcome to see that it fell on Jonah. God was not surprised by any of that. He did not faint away because of difficulty. God didn't need to call an audible because he learned something new along the way. 
Psalms 147 verse 5 tells us that great is the Lord and he's abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. God is the one that declares the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my purpose. Isaiah 46 verse 10. Right? It's he that laid the foundations of the earth, who determined its measurements, who shut in the sea with a door, telling it, thus far shall you come, but no further. Job chapter 38. It was his great hand that closed the door on the ark to preserve Noah and his family. It was his power that split the sea so that his people could walk through it to the land of promise. Now compare that resolve of God, the consistency that is in the character of God, to the hypocrisy of Jonah. The lots are cast, and they point towards Jonah as the reason for all of this mess. I'm sure with lots of fear and equal amounts of frustration, the sailors aim their questions at Jonah, maybe even grabbing him by the arms and shaking him as they interrogate him, saying, Who are you and what have you done? We don't know exactly the tone of Jonah's answer. But we can deduct by his actions up to this point and what follows in the verses to come that Jonah's reply is not one that is born out of repentance. Not yet, anyway. Instead, it might be more fitting to picture Jonah wiping the shock off of his face as the sailors start to become wise to his disobedience. Maybe Jonah stops shifting his weight back and forth. Maybe he fixes his collar or his tunic, whatever he's wearing at the time. Maybe he clears his throat. And I think with some element of shame says I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land but as a reader of the text I'm left asking the question but do you Jonah do you fear the Lord who made the sea and the dry land and then ran away from him. You ran onto a boat that sets sail upon the sea in which you claim the God that you serve made. Then remain silent in your disobedience as it puts others in harm's way. Jonah knows the right things to say, and all of what Jonah says is true, but Jonah's living as though they aren't true. 
Observation number two, God is resolved and is consistent. Jonah is a hypocrite. Observation three, God is shown as faithful as God loves the heart of repentance. Let's continue to read in verses 11 through 16. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they vowed, a, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Jonah now either fully knows or is just now expressing what he already did know. That this storm, this tempest was because of Jonah's disobedience to God. And Jonah tells the sailors to chuck him overboard so that they would be spared. Now we're going to make some observations about Jonah here in a second, but the men don't want to be a part of killing Jonah. And so they row. And they row, but of no avail. And finally, the sailors, seeing that it was the only option, they throw Jonah into the sea, asking that God would have mercy on them for this action and expressing the Lord's ultimate sovereign control over these events. Verse 14, For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Jonah goes into the sea, and the storm stops. God rescues the sailors from the storm, and the response was that the men feared God exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, there's a lot of different opinions about what that means. Were these men truly changed? Did they repent and believe, and when they stepped off the boat, were forever changed people? Or did they fear the Lord now as they may have feared other gods in their culture? The answer is we don't really know. I would argue that that's not really the main point the point to hang on to here is that these men cried out to the Lord. They acknowledged their need, that their, their rowing, their seamanship, their experience up to this point, their gods had no value to them to save them. Only the God of Jonah could save them. See, we, we, we see the heart of God towards those who have sincerity of remorse and regret and that it is, he spares them. Psalms 138 verse 6, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. But the haughty he knows from afar. See, God loves repentance. Although 
God's heart is soft, we see in these verses that the heart of Jonah is still very hard. Although at first blush, um, his self-sacrificing act of being thrown into the the sea seems noble, it may be more in line with his desire to continue to flee from the Lord than to spare these men from the trouble that he, that he has brought upon them. Pastor Chris will show us next week that Jonah's heart has not yet been broken over his sin towards the Lord. It will take more time for Jonah to respond and cry out for help. Jonah Chapter 1. I told Emily as we were talking through and discussing this chapter that if God isn't present, if his faithfulness isn't our focus in the book of Jonah, and specifically Jonah chapter 1, right? Jonah is a disappointing mess of a story. The book, and maybe specifically this chapter, leaves you wanting something greater than Jonah. Doesn't it? I caught myself many times as I was reading through this book with the reaction like, come on, man! You're kidding me! You're still doing that? Like so much of the letdown is piled up in the oddity of this prophet Jonah. Our understanding of God's call on the individual's life and their resolve and obedience to say and do what God desires. Consider other prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Malachi, and then there's Jonah. This doesn't really live up to our expectations. And without God, leaves us wanting. But praise be to God that that's not all the story. Because there is something greater than Jonah. And that's the reality of who our God is. God is being shown as the faithful main character, the main author, the greater person, the greater Jonah. In these verses. He faithfully loves. He is faithful and resolved to his mission, and he is the one that spares those who repent. So how does all of that meet us where we live today? Two quick applications for us to consider as we close. The first Regardless of this great upside-down story, and it is very upside-down, maybe we should personalize it, regardless of your great upside-down 2020, your God is still faithful. As upside-down as the story feels... Your God is still faithfully writing your story. His story of redemption in you. And it is, it is easy 
to get caught up in the twists and the turns that are so entrenched in this life, significant and hard things. And it looks and it often feels like it's all just upside down. And there's just so many things that are wrong with the world that we live in. That it's difficult to see God in the midst of all of that upside down story. But he is there. And he has sent one that is greater than Jonah. The one that truly did self-sacrifice to bring salvation to all people who would repent and believe, and that was his son, Jesus. See, Jesus is the obedient Jonah, who God called to speak God's word in God's place, to bring us the message of repentance, to turn from our sin against God and be spared from God's wrath and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for our own sake. And God promises eternal life. If you're here this morning and you've not trusted or know of this Jesus, my encouragement to you is let the book of Jonah help you see him. Second and last application as we close, so much of this text as we've seen is showing us about the character of God and God's heart. And his heart is really poured out to two specific groups of people in Jonah chapter 1. The first is Jonah, and the second is the sailors. God's heart is for his people, that is us. In this text, Jonah is the placeholder. God's heart is also for them, in this text, the sailor. And as I take inventory of my own heart towards people. And as we live in a more and more polarizing society, I'm left asking myself the question, who is the them in my life? Like, what people group would I say are the others or them in my own heart? And then after I identify them, I ask the question, what's my heart posture towards them? Who are they? What's my heart posture towards them? And then the point of application is, how would God want you and I to grow in reflecting the heart of God towards those individuals? Who are they? What's your heart posture, and how would God want you to grow in reflecting God's heart towards them? Praise God that he has given us something greater than Jonah. Praise God that it is not our own effort alone, or the lack thereof, to see lost people repent, believe, and be saved. Praise God that salvation ultimately belongs to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, it is true that we are in need of you, that we are 
people that are called yours because of what you have done in the face of Jesus. God, I'm grateful for that reality. I pray that as we consider your kindness extended to us, even in light of our unfaithfulness, you remain constant, ever faithful. And you are calling us to respond out of who we already are to be faithful people, not to earn your favor, but because we already have your favor, that we would be people that reflect your heart for all people so that your name would be proclaimed and your kingdom would come and your gospel would continue to grow for your glory and for the good of your blood-bought people. We love you. We ask this all in your name. Amen.